39 years actually started about 42 years ago for me. And it's been quite a journey. And I do look back and remember things. Some of them are funny. And some of them ain't so funny. I think about how God leads us through our own wilderness. I can remember when I got saved and I was on a different level when I came out of the darkness. And I, I thought I, I, I thought that where I was when I got saved was where you were supposed to be. And then I met John Dent. And then there were, it was it's kind of like <laughs> I felt like I don't know if you've ever been in a plane, but you're flying along and the weather changes abruptly and it just kind of and I look out the window to see if them wings is going to flop off of that plane or you're going to take up again. But because I met Brother John, I've been privileged to sit under great preaching. I remember, and I doubt anybody to know his name here, brother, but it was Brother David, it was after y'all had come to St. Cloud. Brother John asked me one night, would I go with him down to, I believe it was Winter Garden, where y'all lived before down there. Winter Haven. He asked me would I go down there with him to hear a preacher. And I said, well, who are we going to hear? I mean, that, I was going to get up and go to work the next morning. I had a long ways to go. He said, we're going to hear Jack Hudson. Anybody here ever heard of Jack Hudson? <sighs> that was the first time I ever heard a preacher quite like that. I mean, he skipped me up one side and down the other, and I'd just been saved a little while and thought I was, I thought I was there. And then it was, whew, I was way down here. But then the journey took another little flow, and Brother John, he took a two, and Milton Taylor come along out of nowhere as far as I was concerned and Hey friend And Brother Milton introduced us to another group of preachers. And Lord have mercy. All that God has done in my life has just been wonderful. I You're not going to hear Jack Hudson this morning. You're not going to hear Milton Taylor this morning. You're certainly not going to hear John Dent or Brother Marion. Y'all remember what Brother Marion was preaching that night when he got to crawling around on the floor? I've been trying to remember. All, I, maybe he was preaching about Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to nibble the grass or something. I don't know what he was preaching. But he got down on, I was already deaf by then, couldn't hear nothing. He's down on the floor whispering, preaching. Y'all remember that? Man, it was so heavy in here. You would think that anybody that was here that was lost would have got saved then. But God don't work the way we think that He ought to work. I'm just now getting my voice back. I was in Indiana uh, a week ago preaching a youth camp meeting. I've been preaching the same meeting for 36 years. A few years ago, I told the pastor up there, I said, why don't you get a young man to preach to teenagers? I'm old and wore out, and they preached my voice right away this past week. When I got back from up there, I was supposed to, I was supposed to preach the Sunday after camp, but I, 
I said, I'm going home. Mary Ellen's not doing well. I need to go home. And uh, I didn't have any. It was gone. I'd have had to whisper like Brother Marion. We've been on that wilderness path. I, I have characters in the Bible that, that I like. My life verses over in the book of Colossians where Paul wrote down chapter 3 and verse 3. I love, to, I love to preach about David. I like to read about David. Sometimes I actually dream about David. I don't know if my dream is anything like the real David, but I have them anyway. Mary Ellen said, I must have been dreaming last night. She said I was sniveling and weeping and carrying on. And I don't remember none of that part of the dream, but I remember, I remember being among the dead last night. In my journey, I love the I love to preach about Moses. I remember. I don't know if y'all remember this, Sam. You might remember, but you was just a sprout. But way back when I was just getting started, Brother Marion, Marion let me preach at y'all's school. That was a flop. I was so embarrassed. I wished I'd have got sick that morning or something before then. But it was terrible. I felt so sorry for you boys when I left. It was bad. But I, I like to preach about Moses because Moses was in that wilderness journey. And when he went to bed at night, he didn't know what they were going to do the next day. And when he got up that morning... He didn't know what they were going to do that night. And our life should be like that journey. Just waiting for God to show us the movement of the journey. I remember Brother Buster preaching the ministry of Mara. I listen to it every now and then on purpose. But this book of Exodus is just it's such a tremendous book in these chapters we're introduced to the Lord in different ways and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my text out of Exodus chapter 4 and preach from that portion of scripture by the way, rejoicing days, we have little keepsakes. This is a bookmarker our baby gave us when he got married the second time. After the first time, he thought he was worthless and God would never use him again. But he got married the second time and God's using the fire out of him now. And that's a blessing. Little keepsakes memorial things that you keep and you remember. Ladies are the worst for it. they got little doodads everywhere that mean something to them that don't mean nothing to a man. I'll talk about ladies a little bit maybe this morning if the Lord will let me. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to try to preach from these portions of Scripture. Chapter 1 of the book of Exodus It's where God hears the groaning of Israel. They've done been taken down to Egypt and they've been there now that 400 years and all oh, the taskmasters are making them work with rigor and they've been under the gun of those people, the whip and uh, the rod and all that beating and everything that they've had to endure. Uh, God hears all of that. Doesn't seem like God's hearing. Doesn't seem like God's doing. But back over there somewhere, God's working out a plan of their deliverance. He just hadn't told them yet. And this morning, I don't know where you're at in your wilderness journey. And it might be that you're down in one of them low places. But God's already working on our deliverance. we just got to learn patience to wait for that day of deliverance. It's in chapter 1 where we read about their affliction. 
in chapter 1 where we read about them having to serve with rigor in verse 14. But when we get over to chapter 2, the the story kind of takes a little turn and we begin to uh, find out that God is working His plan. His plan is for a deliverer to be born. Now, He doesn't get born in tomorrow. He delivers. He gets born, and it's a tremendous story about His birth. You know, little Moses in the bulrushes. Matter of fact, His name, I don't, I don't know. You know, God does so many things in a mysterious way that we just, we're not going to understand it even if we dwell on it for our whole life. But He puts Him in a basket in, a, in the water, and along comes Pharaoh's daughter, and she sees the basket, and she said, run over there and get that basket. And ain't no crying or whining or nothing in that basket. Go get that basket. I don't know. Maybe she thought it was a loaf of bread in there. I don't know what you find in the basket, but she found a little baby. And then Moses' own mama became his nurse, and then after a while, she brings the baby back to Pharaoh's daughter, and she names him. You read it. It's in chapter 2. She names him, and she says, out of the water, Moses. That's what his name means. You don't have to look it up in, in a dictionary. She tells you right there. And I thought, I was born in the water. But that wasn't good enough. That'll only get me to death. But if I can have a second birth, I don't face a second death. That's a good birth. So there's Moses. He's just a little boy. He's learning in Pharaoh's court and he's growing. And, and time is still plodding along for them Jewish folk down there in them mud pits stomping out them bricks saying, How long, O Lord? How long? You know, they want out. And Moses don't have a clue. He's just riding around in his chariot with his stepdaddy, I guess you'd call it thinking everything's wonderful. Then one day he decides to take a chariot ride himself. And he goes down there and he sees that Jewish woman getting beat up by an Egyptian. So he just hauls off and kills him. Now I don't really recollect any place in the Bible where God got on to him about that. I don't, I don't recollect a place where God said, Well, Moses, you terrible thing. You, you done killed an Egyptian. I kind of get the idea that God was okay with that. Now, you might not get that same feeling, and it might really bother you that an Egyptian got killed, but it's just an Egyptian. It's kind of like kicking a dog. It's just a dog. I wouldn't fret over it too long. I will say this, that Egyptian never whooped another Jewish woman. And you know that story. It's there in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we begin to change again. But in chapter 2, before we get to that chapter 3, Moses goes back down there the next day, and there's two Jewish fellows fighting. And he found out they didn't appreciate him much at all for killing that Egyptian. They said, what are you going to do? Kill us too? Now Moses is caught up in his mind. You know, he thought he got away with it clean. You know what I'm saying, David. He thought he was clean away with that. Nobody knew. Somehow they knew. Maybe maybe there's another prophet around there somewhere getting the visions. I don't know. But now all of a sudden, the Jewish folks don't like him. Them's his people. Now the Egyptians don't like him. So he flees off to the land of Midian. And in chapter 2, I love this part. You know, Moses is... Quite a type of Christ if you dig around a little bit. But in chapter 2, he takes a Gentile bride because the Jews have done rejected him. That's pretty good. See, I got in because our Lord took a Gentile bride. Otherwise, I'd still be wandering around in the wilderness, lost as a goose in high grass. But oh no, he took a Gentile bride. It's right there in verse number 21. Uh, and then verse 24 says, And God heard their groaning. 
They're still in Egyptian bondage. All this has been going on with, with Moses. But God's listening to what they're groaning about down there. I, you almost get to see, and I know this is not real, but you almost get the sense that God's not paying a whole lot of attention to Moses right now. He's just listening to that groaning. But our God's big enough that He can take care of their groaning and Moses is growing at the same time and never never miss a beat. Yeah. It, there's no struggle for God to, to work in my life and work in your life and everybody else's life at the same time. Listen, if He's big enough to keep the sun held up there where it belongs and the moon flowing around where it's, He's big enough to handle our little problems. Chapter 3, Moses has done gone down to, to Midian. He's, he's done took care of feeding their sheep and camels and all that stuff. And, and uh, he, he becomes the son-in-law to Jethro. And that's not a big deal just because the guy's name is Jethro, but it does make a big deal that he's the priest in Midian. So his wife, that Gentile bride, She's full of all kind of ungodly religious mumbo jumbo. That's what I call it. We got it everywhere. We was coming to church this morning, and and we we rode by some church. What was the name of that church, Mary Ellen? It had a crazy name like Ditch Bank Church, you know, something like that. Now I said to Mary Ellen, I said, then what is that? And whatever the name of it, Ditch Bank Church. She said, that's a Ditch Bank Church. You don't know what you're walking into if you walk into that outfit. But I'll tell you this, it's probably got something to do with Pentecostals. You know, they like to disguise who they are and sneak up and bite you in the back. They try to hide out who they are. Man, I'm glad I'm still a Baptist. I, I'm, uh, it don't really matter that it's Lighthouse Baptist Church, but it all, big, big letters Baptist. I want folks to know who I am, what I believe. I still believe that you get saved by grace through faith. I still believe that. I still believe that when you get saved, you're saved for eternity. I still believe that. Now you're going to sin after you get saved. You need to get right about it, but you don't get lost because you sinned. If you did, we'd all go to hell. I hadn't got to where I'm going yet, but I'll get there directly. Chapter 3, God's in the process of preparing Moses to go to Egypt. It's in chapter 3 where he meets God at the burning bush. It's in chapter 3 where he sees the bush and says, what in the world is that? It says, I think I'll turn aside and I'll go see. He goes up to that burning bush and he has to take his shoes off because God said, now this is holy ground. Get them shoes off. I don't know that I fully understand that, but the shoes are probably dirtier than his feet maybe. I don't know. But he's there barefooted as a yard dog and God begins to tell him what's going to transpire. And Moses, like most of us, when we find out what the will of God is for us, the first thing we probably do, I don't know about you, but I know about me, is take a couple of steps back. When God started dealing with me about preaching, I took a bunch of steps back. It took me a while to decide that, okay, I guess God is right and I don't know how he's going to do this, but if he wants to, I will. And otherwise, you're going to be in bigger trouble if you don't than you would if you do. And so I figured that I would do instead of don't, and it's worked out all right up to now. Chapter 3, after he sees that burning bush, he finds out what he's supposed to do. He tells God that, hey, if I go back down there, what in the world am I supposed to tell them people? All the way down here, I've been thinking, what in the world am I supposed to tell you folks? Because I know who I am. I think about all those fellows that have pastored and preached right here. 
it is a holy place to me. The house of God in the barn dance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Run by one of them cowboy churches the other day. What, I, what is a cowboy church? Are they cowboy Baptists or cowboy church of God or cowboy Catholics? I don't know what they are. Cowboys can be all of them things. And all of them things can be cowboys. But I, I know who I am. Moses said, what am I going to tell him? In verse number 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. It is enough that God is. I was preaching over at the old folks' home the other day, and I preached for probably 45 minutes on He is. I was preaching up at the camp the other day with them teenagers, and uh, they got to they got to testifying a little bit before the preaching time. And uh, they, they at the camp they have a little a little booklet that gives them uh, a lesson for each day, and they got to talking about the the country of Israel. Have you ever thought about that word Israel? I did that morning. Is real. This Bible is real. Jesus is real. God is real. The nation of Israel is real. I mean, you can just keep on going on with all that's real based on this book. Then Marilyn and I was out eating one night and we had this weird looking waitress. Now, I'm not going to talk about that one that was at that place. At that steak and shake, we don't go to steak and shake much. But we was at this fine dining restaurant, and this gal come up to to wait on us. And I'm telling you, if I ever seen a kook, she fit the bill. She looked wild as a buck, and so we tried to witness to her a little bit. And she tar- started telling us about this strange God that I ain't never heard of. I- I've read a lot of books, but I ain't read nothing about this God she was telling about. And so I, I was with a preacher friend of mine the other day, and I asked him about it, and he said, well, I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that or not. So he just Googled that name, and this strange God came up. And it's a figment of somebody's imagination, kind of like Mormons. And uh, it's just a dreamed-up female God of some sort who was the first wife of Adam. Now, you read your Bible, he only had one. And she messed up the whole ball of wax. And he just jumped in right behind her. I mean, you're going to hear all kinds. Hey, I am! That's enough! Has he ever been the I am of your life? I remember when I got saved. I was a mess. I wore shoes that was jacked up in the back end, two-tone in color, bell-bottom breeches. I, oh, I was, a, I was a kook. was headed toward a ponytail, but my daddy wouldn't let me get that far. Thank God. Now, he put up with a lot, but he wasn't going to put up with that. Hey, I was a mess when I got saved. I got a picture of me sitting at Lock Haven Baptist Church in a... It must have been some kind of a bag chair that I don't remember even having bag chairs back then. I'm sitting there with them. I called them 57 Chevrolet shoes. But I got gloriously saved. And my life took an about face. I can tell you why. Because the I am moved in. And the I am is bigger than I am. And he started changing my furniture around. The things that I used to like, I don't like. Now, the things that I didn't like, I do like. That's how that works. Hey, now, let me get over to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a great chapter. I'm talking about Moses and how God moved his life through the wilderness. We get to chapter 4, and and God has got to do some things 
in Moses' life. Because when you leave chapter 3, he's still saying, God, I can't do this. And the truth is, he can't do this. And the truth is, I can't do this. And whatever it is that you're doing, you can't do that. In the flesh, we can't do. But in the Spirit, God can do anything with us that He wants to do. But Moses was like us. you got to show him something. So God said, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a rod. He said, throw it down. It became a snake. I don't know what you would do with a snake, but I'd want to kill it right off. And God said, well, pick it up by the tail. And it became a rod again. And then God said, take your hand and put it in your cloak. And when He pulled it out, it was leprous. He said, put it again. He put it in again. It came out whole. And then He said, Moses... Scoop up some water, and he scooped up some water, and he poured out blood on the ground. He said, now remember those signs. Show them to the children of Israel when you get down there, and it'll be all right. But Moses, is he's just not really buying into all of that yet because, well, he, he talks funny. Last week when we was up preaching in the, at the camp, uh, it's supposed to be a teen camp for little kids and teenagers and and a few staff members are there. But some of the folks from the church, they like to come out and hear me tell lies. So they come out there and, and they listen to stuff. And, and there's one woman there that talks funny. She's got a lisp. And she, she talks like them two fellows that went over to Europe to see different things over there. And she had that lisp. And she's talking funny. And, and I, I like to listen to her talk rather than me talk because she talks funnier than I talk with that lisp. But she's sitting around there all week long listening to preaching. Preaching in the morning, preaching in the evening. Preaching in the morning, preaching in the evening. And I preached three times on Sunday, the day that I got there. And then Monday we'd go to camp. I preached twice on Monday, twice on Tuesday, twice on Wednesday, once on Thursday, and we leave out to come home. And she sat through that whole business. They get home. Saturday morning, or Friday morning, they leave out to Indianapolis, Indiana, to go to a ladies' meeting. And I don't, I don't know what goes on in a ladies' meeting. I ain't never been to one because I don't fit with that crowd. Sunday goes by. She, she was in church. She heard preaching Sunday morning. They have a video that they showed that ran for 30 minutes about youth camp. It had songs and singing and skits and preaching and all of that in the video packed in there. And they laugh and they cry and have a big time. She sat through that. And Monday morning she called the preacher's wife and said, Could I talk to you today? And of course the preacher's wife said, Well, sure. And she said, I really need to talk to you. Something is wrong with me. Of all the people that drove to Buffalo, Indiana for camp, she was the only one there with a flat tire. No spare. When we left camp to come back to Lafayette, she's the only one that run over a deer on the way home. That's just in the week that I was up there. Before that, man, you can't believe all the troubles they've had. She says, something's wrong with me. So she met with the preacher's wife and she said, what is it that I can help you with? And she said, I'm lost. And I need to be saved. That woman could have been saved a lot sooner if she wasn't so blamed hard-headed. But she wanted to stay lost because she thought that getting saved meant that you couldn't have no fun. You couldn't do what you want to do no more. Hey, but God changes your wanter. She called the preacher. We was driving down to Mississippi on, on Tuesday. She called the preacher to tell him she got saved and he couldn't get a word in edgewise. She was so yakety-yak about being saved and how good God was and all the blessings that He'd given her. And she, he'd just been beating her up last week. But that was a blessing now. See, that's how you change. What was bad has now become good. We're in chapter 4 now. Moses can't speak in verse number verse number 10 he said i am slow of speech and of a slow tongue and god responds to him in verse number 11 i love this this is still not the message i'm just playing around with y'all for a while 
Verse number 11 says, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Whatever you are, God can use. Now God will not leave you like you are. God will prepare you for what He's going to do with you. But God will use you. But let me say this now. If God's going to put His stamp on you to use you, He's going to conform you into the image of His Son. He will not leave you undone. He's going to fix you up. That's what He's going to do. Now then, we're beginning to get that. Verse 14 said, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. Now, look at here. God's working in Israel's behalf here in them groaning. He's going to use Moses out of that little basket. And he's working on Moses. And Moses hadn't got a clue what's going on. And Aaron's down there in one of them mud pits with the rest of them Jews. And he has no idea. He's fixing to go up there to meet Moses somewhere near to that burning bush. God's doing all of that at the same time. The rest of this chapter is kind of strange to me. How I came to this thing is because I read something here that really confounded me. It just strangely confused me. You see, God is going about the task of preparing Moses for this work that He's going to use him for as the Deliverer. The thing that we know most about Moses is that he is the Deliverer. And he's a great picture of how Christ delivers us. And this book, this chapter, is all about that preparation time. When we get down to verse number 19, the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Pharaoh's gone. Pharaoh's right hand henchmen, they're all dead and gone. That's all the past. So Moses, get up and go down to Egypt now. Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all the wonders before Pharaoh before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. That's kind of a confusing thing. Moses says to you, now look here, preacher, I'm going to send you down there to America to deliver them people, but they ain't going to listen to you. You're going to go down there and they ain't going to hear words you're saying. You're going to be talking to deaf ears. They will not obey the Word of God. They're just, I'm going to harden his heart, and I guarantee you he won't listen to you. How would you like to preach to a bunch of people that before you even get there, you already know they're not going to hear nothing you say? It sounds almost like Noah building a boat and nobody wants to get on board. I'm telling you, this this little bit of Scripture right here, it really confused me. I mean, we're talking about God's man. This is the man that God is, has groomed for the work of the deliverer. Hey, listen, if Moses was groomed in Egypt of how to, how to manage things. And God says, He's not going to let him go. And then He says this in verse 22. He says, You tell Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Now here's where it gets real confusing. Verse 24. I'm telling you, this knocked me off my rocking chair. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him 
and sought to kill him. Is that not confusing to you? God's raised Moses up for the job of being the deliverer. And he tells him that the enemy is not going to listen to nothing, nothing that he says. And he's not going to let the people go. But the whole purpose of you going down there is to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And the people that he wants to get out of Egypt are the people that don't want him. I mean, he's up against a rock and a hard place. And he's, he's, in, the, he's in the way. He's in the business of doing what God's told him to do. And God sets out to kill him. Is that not the craziest thing you ever read? I said, this don't make any sense. Why would God set somebody else to do something and then God set out to kill them? I'm telling you, I scratched my head a time or two. I spent days. I'm slow learning. I spent days worrying about why would God kill him? I even spent some time wondering, is God fixing to kill me? I mean, I run on a snag. God fixed to kill his man. And I'm thinking to myself, Mary Ellen's fixing to be a widow. God might be fixing to kill me. Why did, he, why did he run me along to this? I'm just reading along in the Bible. And I hit that snag. We get up every morning and get our coffee pots. I've gotten so lazy I don't want to walk back in the house to get my coffee. I'm going to sit on the front porch in my rocking chair. So I put Mary Ellen's thermos in this pocket and my thermos in this pocket and I carry them two cups out to the front porch. And I got my phone in my other hand and we sit down in our rocking chairs and pour us a cup and begin to rock and start reading the Bible on our telephone. We got one of them, we got one of them programs that lets us read. We can just pick out a place and start reading or we can read chronologically or we can read historically, which is not chronological. I don't understand that. But anyway, that's what you got them two options and some more. Anyway, and we sit down and read together. And one morning I'm reading along and I come to this place where God's fixing to kill Moses. I said, what in the world is this? And I thought this morning, I, I, don't, I don't never title a message and I hadn't, hadn't titled this one. I don't know what to title it. I thought about I thought about saying it was a preparation for the journey. But then I thought maybe it's a dead man walking and don't know it. Because just as sure as you're standing here, if God set out to kill you, He could kill you like that. We had a dear friend, a good godly man. I mean, he is a sweet man. Loved God, loved his family. He got up one morning to go to work and put his son in the, in the Bronco with him and he took off for work. They had been to several jobs. He was in contracting business. They had been to several jobs and they was going to a third one and they turned out on Highway 441 in Kissimmee and a log truck hit that. Gone. Gone. T-bones. And the, that big truck hit that. He was gone. He was in eternity before you could flash. And his son sitting next to him in the front seat not even a scratch. I'm just saying, if God sets out to kill you, you're just as sure dead. Then verse 25 said, Then Sephora. Now she's the daughter of the priest of Midian. She's a worshiper of strange gods. She worships Manly gods, and she works worships effeminate gods. She's got a whole bookshelf of gods sitting there in her parlor. Sephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. You get... God had him by the nap of the neck. He had Moses all gathered up and was fixing to kill him. And Zipporah grabbed a sharp stone and 
circumcised her son. Now, he wasn't a little baby. He's a full-grown man. What is up with this? What difference does that make? It's just circumcision. What, what's the big deal? And God let him go. Had him like this. She circumcised that son that was probably around 40 years old. And God said, okay, that'll do. That'll do. Now here's the thing. That circumcision was a big deal to God that somehow had become a little deal to Moses and his family. But if you go over to the book of Joshua, after the children of Israel have entered into the promised land, all of those generations born in the wilderness, every one of them male children over there in the book of Joshua, I think it's chapter 5, I might be wrong about that, but anyway, all of the male children born in the wilderness now, they're getting circumcised right after they cross the Jordan. It's a big deal to God. You remember when you got saved? If you're not saved this morning, this is what's going to happen. You need to listen. If you remember when you got saved, you asked God to save you. You recognized you were a sinner on your way to hell and you didn't care what you had to do. You just wanted to be saved. Why ain't no telling what gets promised to God on an altar? I don't know about y'all, but when I got saved, I felt like that day the flames of hell were lapping on my backside. I thought, sure, that was the day I was going to hell if I didn't get saved right then on the spot. I was sitting, I was sitting right there, but I didn't get saved till I got back there. I was on my way out one more time, and I got back there and I realized, oh no, if I go out that door, I'll die today. God had me like this. I'm going to die today if I go out the door. And I got saved that day. Hey, I told everybody what a rotten sinner I was. That's the day I got saved. Because that's the day my heart got changed. That's the day the day I am moved in and began His work of sanctification in my life. The big deal with that circumcision is that circumcision was a ceremonial symbol of the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel. And Moses knew that. He didn't fall off a pumpkin truck. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. Hey, you tell him I am sent you. He knows God. And he knows who Israel's relationship is with God. He knows about circumcision. So I'm going to ask you this question. Why had it not been done? I'm going to tell you what to think. Because the Bible don't say, so I'm allowed to think. But don't you find it puzzling that when God grabs Moses like this and starts to kill him, that Sephora grabbed the sharpest thing she could find as fast as she could find it and circumcised that boy. I think the reason that it hadn't been done, you men listening to me, I think the reason that it hadn't been done is because Moses allowed his wife to wear the breeches when it came to circumcising her sons. Instead of him being the priest of his house, he became the servant of his house. And the moment it was going to cost her, boy, she changed her mind right quick. Something that's Little to us may be monumental to God. That thing that you've got hid back there in that closet where you won't let nobody in to see. It may not be a big deal to you, but if God's planning to use you for something, it's a big deal to God. While I'm right there, let me just say this. When you did get saved and you followed the Lord in baptism, and you joined the local assembly, you became obligated to that local assembly as my church. 
It's my family. Now, it's not a big thing to you to miss a service or two, but I'm telling you it's a big deal to God. Because, see, you're, you're cheating the bride. You cheat His bride, buddy. I'm telling you, you're in trouble. He gave His life for the church. We're supposed to love the... Well, listen, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And if He saved you, you're part of the church. And, and you're going to treat your church like a red-headed stepchild? We ain't got no redheads in here, have we? Oh. We ain't got no redheads in here, have we? I'm serious. Listen, I pastored for 33 years in one place, and I know what it's like for the pastor to get up on Sunday morning and look out over the congregation. And, and listen, I didn't pastor a great big church, and brother, you don't pastor a great big church, but I can tell you this. I can tell you the times that John Dent called me and we talked together on the phone about who showed up at my church and who showed up at his church. Reckon where they're at. Reckon what they're doing. Where's my sheep at? You see, that's the thing. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And the sheep are supposed to be in the fold when it's fold time, whatever they call that. That's where we're supposed to be. And it's his responsibility when you come in, he's supposed to, he's supposed to read you. If you ain't here pretty often, then he's going to have a hard time reading you, knowing what you need. Oh, but you don't understand, preacher. God's going to give him what to say. Sure he is. He's going to read that book. He's going to study. He's going to pray. And God's going to tell him what to say. But God's going to let him see, too. I pastored my folks so long when they'd walk in the door, I could tell you what was going on with them. I could tell you when they had the migraine. I could tell you when they had a bad week at work. I had one lady, I could tell you when her check didn't come in. Hey, I'm on Social Security now. I know what day that check's supposed to be in that bank. If it ain't there, honey, I'm worried. I don't live any different now than I did then. It's week to week. Now, it's just grown month to month is all it is. And Mary Ellen, bless her heart. She knew when the check was coming before I knew when the check was coming. Now what you got in your closet? What is it in your closet that's going to keep God from using you? See, the Bible says that God's no respecter of persons. He'll use anybody on any row in this church if you'll just get your closet cleaned out. Me and Brother John were talking about being antiques this morning. God still uses antiques. You know what's about antiques? They're worth more than young young things. Hey, when my daddy left here and went to glory, I, I realized what I'd lost. He had a way about saying my name. I think it might be like Jesus when He said Mary. My daddy had a way about saying my name that he could, he could, the way he said it, it either make you feel like you're way up here or way down there. I remember the day that I found out that my daddy had found out that I'd hid something in the trunk of the car, his car, by the way, that wasn't supposed to be in his car. And when I found out that it was in his car is when he told me to go to the refrigerator and get him a glass of tea, that what I'd hid in the trunk of the car was in the refrigerator. And the way he said my name that day should have clued me in. He said, Tom, get me a glass of tea out of the refrigerator. I, I, I didn't have a clue. While we were working that morning, he liked to work the devil out of me that day. You see, I had something hidden in the closet. I didn't want to reveal it. Daddy gave me opportunities. He said, son, I need, a, I need this particular tool. And I'd go to his shed and I'd look all through his shed and I'd go back and I'd say, daddy, it ain't there. 
And he'd say, well, Tom, I know I put it there. He said, go look in the trunk of the car. I might have put it in the trunk of the car. And I went out to the trunk of the car, and I tore it apart, and I didn't find his wish, and mine was gone. But it didn't dawn on me that what was up. It just didn't. I was probably, I might have been 16. I might have been, I might have been 17. I don't know. But I went back to work with Daddy. In a little while, he gave me another chance. He said, Tom, go look at my shed and get me whatever it was. And I went and it wasn't. And went back out there. I said, Daddy, it ain't there. And he said, well, go look in the trunk of the car. It might be in the trunk of the car. It still didn't dawn on me. It didn't dawn on me that I had something hidden in my closet, but Daddy already knew what was in my closet. Are you hearing me? But when I looked in that refrigerator and saw what I had hid that God had done exposed, I didn't do that anymore. Are you a dead man walking this morning? Are you somebody that's being prepped for service? See, God's still calling people to service. He's still calling people to serve in the local church. I mean, local church needs so many people. They stuff goes on here behind the scenes that the average person that walks through the door don't have a clue about. What could you do for God here in the local church. You know there's some places in the local church that never gets the attention of somebody that God wants to use for that particular thing. It takes somebody conscientious to do the little things. The, the big stuff everybody sees and and knows about it, but it's the little things. That somebody needs to be conscientious about to do. And I'm not picking on your church. I'm just saying God wants to use us. And as quick as you get your closet cleaned out, man, God will put you into service and you can do something special for God that nobody else might be doing. Hey, as far as I can tell, when I read my Bible, in Moses' day, he was the deliverer. But as soon as Moses was off the scene, Joshua was the man. And when Joshua was off the scene, another man has stepped in. God wants another generation to do something for God. It's okay to look back at Brother John and say, man, what a great work he did. For Brother Burke, he wants somebody else now to carry the torch. And somebody else, and somebody else. Hey, listen, when, when we decided that God really wanted us to be done at Central Park Baptist Church in Berkshire, Florida, I didn't want to go. I'd been there long enough I wanted to stay. I made up my mind. Brother John and I talked when I left that first church and I went to Central Park, and when he had come here, it, it wasn't exactly the same time, but it was pretty close. We'd both made up our mind, bless God, come Whatever. Brother John probably wouldn't have said it that way. I know his daddy wouldn't have. But, but we was just going to stay. Irregardless to what happened. I made up my mind the only way I was going to leave Central Park is they're going to have to vote me out. I even got mean on a spell there just to see if they would. And they didn't. They loved me in spite of me. But when we decided to go to Tennessee... We didn't know anybody. I, we, we only know a handful of folks now in, in, in Jackson, Tennessee. We said when we left out to go to Jackson, I said, we're going to have to look for a church. It's more important than the bank. It's more important than the grocery store. See, I wanted to go to a church that was going to be right, not just a church. There's a church on every corner in Jackson, Tennessee. I went to ones out in the country. I, I, I love the preacher. His name is Mike Powell. 
He's from Oklahoma. O- Oklahoma. And he's he's as country as cornbread. I mean, he talks country. And you think I talk country. He talks country now. And And to get to his church, the day we went to his church, it had been a flood, and we went through the flood to get to the church because we didn't know a, a better way to get there. But there was just something in that church that just the Spirit of God didn't say, okay, this is it. Well, I went several times, and God never said this is it. So I went to another church. And Brother David, i tell you what, that church, do you remember Lock Haven? I know Amanda don't remember Lock Haven. She wasn't big enough for nothing. She was... She was just a sprout back then. She wasn't even hardly a good sprout. But you remember that little building up front? That was the original church building. This church was just, it was bigger than that, but it was just exactly that style. And they had good singing. But there was something, there was just something there it wouldn't say okay. In both of them churches, I sat there and listened to the preaching, listened to the singing, and I wasn't challenged. I didn't feel that presence. I'm not saying God wasn't in those churches. I'm just saying that God didn't in me. But we went to the third church. When I walked in the door, I said, oh boy, there's something going on here. They got up and sang, and hey, they don't sing like y'all. It's very rare that they sing a song out of that being y'all's songbook. They sing almost, I, I call it high church. You know, uh, if you ever went to Tennessee Temple, that's long gone. Their big choir get up and sing. That's kind of the singing they do. And, Sometimes I just sit there and I'm thinking, what are they saying? I don't understand a word they're saying. And then every now and then I go in and it just blesses my soul like you wouldn't believe. And then that preacher gets up. Dr. Rick Savage. There's sometimes when he's so sweet, I mean it's like honey dripping off of him. And then there's other times when he preaches, it's like a bear in the pulpit. He is savage. But every time I'm there, God does something in my heart and challenges me. Challenges me to be in that book more, to be on my knees more, to be listening for God to speak to me more. See, I ask Him, God, is there anything else in my closet that I can get out? I want to be right. Hey, the Lord could come today. I don't want something in my closet now when the Lord comes. I want it cleaned out. Hey, if the Lord, if the shout comes, I don't want Mary Ellen to grab something sharp. I want us to just be ready to go. If you would, stand to your feet. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for me. Uh, Pastor, I, I don't know if you want to come do the invitation or not. Whatever you want to do, I'll do. See, I, I'm concerned this morning about our churches. When I can drive down the road and see all these places of, of so-called worship and they don't have the right name on their building, that worries me that the next generation is going to be more confused than my generation was. My generation was just wicked. But this generation is confused. They don't listen, they don't know what the right church is, they don't know what the right Bible is. They're in a mess. And it's up to us to get our get our closets cleaned out and get to living for God, being holy and righteous, serving Him every day, everywhere, all the time. For us to be what God wants us to be. You're here this morning and you've never been saved. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around, just me. You're here, you've never been saved. 
You'd say, preacher, would you pray for me? I don't want to die and go to hell. I've never been saved. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? I've never been saved. All right, you might be here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I've got a bunch of stuff in my closet that I need to get out. I don't want God to get me up by the nap of my neck. Would you pray for me, preacher, that I'd clean my closet out? Anybody with something in your closet, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I thank you for that hand and that hand. Somebody else, preacher, just help me to clean my closet out. Pray for me. Now, Father, I pray you'd help us this morning. I, I tried to do what you put in my heart to do. Lord, I pray you'd help folks this morning to find themselves in this altar and begin to clean out the closet today. I pray, God, you'd do something in our hearts great and mighty today. Help us to move from this place to take our journey on down the road in the wilderness and allow us to listen and watch and wait for you to move us about on the journey. God, help us now in the invitation. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.